Hello and welcome to another episode of Doer Well, Doer Swell. Today I have Mackenzie Hollinger on and she is a soil conservationist for the National Resources Conservation Service. <laughs> That's a mouthful. It's an agency for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And we are going to be talking a little bit more about regenerative agriculture and what soil health is in this episode. I know some of you guys are probably like, why do I want to know about soil health? Well, first off, it's Earth Month. Second off, you should care about it because our soil is what produces everything that we are consuming, especially in terms of greens and stuff, but also with cattle and all of the meats that you're eating because these animals are eating the things that come from our soil and then they are pooping them out back into the soil. So it's all full circle here. So I'm not gonna tell you what you should care about, but you should care about the earth and its health. I mean, we are living in it. So without further ado, here's Mackenzie. So diving into what regenerative agriculture is, I know it focuses on topsoil regeneration, increasing biodiversity, improving the water cycle, and so much more. Can you give us a little bit more detail and more oomph of what regenerative agriculture is and help us overall give, get a better understanding of that? So regenerative agriculture is essentially where you farm with Mother Nature instead of, you know, fighting her. After all, Mother Nature has billions of years of experience of keeping a balance of healthy soils, water, air, plants, animals, etc. So who are we as humans to try to outsmart Mother Nature? She doesn't plant uh, large areas in a single crop. She doesn't use chemicals or tillage. She doesn't keep the soil bare or keep the animals off the land or concentrate them. Uh, agriculture is not the same everywhere as everyone has their own unique you know, location. Uh, they also have the same different climates, types of soils, crops grown, types and breeds of livestock, and the resources available to producers. So different operations may have uh, unique approaches to regenerative agriculture. So what, what works for one person may not be feasible for another in a different location or different, you know, climate, etc. So essentially, it's using natural resources you have around you instead of all of these chemicals and all of these pesticides and using what Earth has to offer to create an abundance of healthy produce and healthy cattle. Yes. So it's basically kind of using what resources you have available to try to work with Mother Nature and have her kind of work for you in return in exchange for doing it in a way that Mother Nature can also have her natural processes functioning. So what qualifies soil as healthy? So most of us are already vaguely familiar with soil. It's the uppermost layer of the earth's crust that we interact with and that plants grow in. Uh, soils are composed of minerals, organic matter, and pore spaces that allow movement of water and air through the soils, which can be pretty important. It, it could take hundreds to thousands of years to naturally produce an inch of topsoil. Uh, when most people think of soils, they think of it as an inanimate thing with no life, with only physical and chemical properties to define it. However, that can't really be farther from the truth. Healthy soils have much more life than there is just about anywhere on the earth. A tablespoon of healthy soil holds more life than there are humans on this planet. And I'm not just talking about earthworms, ants, rodents, reptiles either. There are billions of microorganisms in a single gram of healthy soil. So these bacteria, fungi, actinomyces, and more all play a crucial role in the health of soil and plants. Uh, healthy soils have all these microbes that kind of help form glues that hold the soil together, which helps prevent erosion 
and also helps keep the soil porous for, for infiltration of water and air into the soil. So if I may, I may, I'll talk a little bit about the five key principles of soil health, which are universal to wherever you are, but the method of implementing them is different for everyone. And as I mentioned earlier, different operations may have their own unique approach on how to best implement these soil health practices. Uh, the first one is armor on the soil. Nature rarely ever has spare soil, and most spare soils that we see today are caused by human activity, past and or present. Having, having plant residue on the soil helps lower the soil temperatures, which makes it more mm. livable for microbiology in the soils. Also, the huge, those huge areas of bare ground are much hotter when compared when they're bare compared to the land that has cover on it. The higher temperatures are detrimental to the plant life and life in the soils. Reducing the amount of bare ground year-round on a large scale will also help lower atmospheric temperatures and allow more rain to fall with the cooler temperatures. The hot, uh, the hot air that's rising off from these bare grounds aren't just going to push the rain clouds away to somewhere else, you know. Uh, plant residue also protects the ground from wind and water erosion, and sadly, erosion didn't just end with the dust with the dust bowl back in the 1930s. Uh, I bet you've seen gullies big enough to drive school buses in or huge clouds of soil emerging from the bare fields on multiple occasions. I've seen those both in different states. It's and I've seen pictures of them in many more other states that are all fairly recent. It's yeah. <laughs> okay, the second principle of soil health is minimizing your soil disturbance. It was once widely believed the Tillage is how you break up the soil for better water infiltration, but we have since learned that in reality, tillage really has the opposite effect. It destroys your soil structure, sometimes making it into like a fine powder, and the smaller soil particles will block pore spaces and will keep water and air from entering the soil. The water will then run off the field, causing water erosion instead of infiltrating into the soil and get stored in the soil. Oftentimes, that water leaving the field will make will take the precious topsoil and nutrients with it. The tillage also destroys the environment that the microbes and the mycorrhizal fungi need to survive, which also harms the plants that have a symbiotic relationship with these organisms. Plant diversity is the third principle of soil health. Uh, have you ever been in a natural setting where there's only one species of plant, Mallory? Nope. Unless it's on a farm, I always see diversity in our plants. Yeah, I've never seen a natural setting where, you know, it's not being cropped by farmers and stuff like that or being grazed by cattle. Yeah. Where, you know, I usually see a wide variety of species growing in a natural setting. Exactly. So farmers often plant crops in monocultures, which are fields with only a single crop. Uh, people sometimes believe that weeds will only steal nutrients and water from the cash crop that is oftentimes paying the bills. And oftentimes that same logic that people use when keeping their fields bare through the winter when little is growing. Also, monocultures kind of make it easier to harvest. For example, with grain crops like wheat and barley, if you have a monoculture, you don't have to see you don't have to sort the seed to prevent the unwanted seeds in your products that will cause weeds, you know, in other fields, so to speak. Uh, conversely, nature doesn't plant monocultures. She creates a mosaic of different diverse plants. Diversity kind of makes the land more resilient to handling stresses such as drought, disease, high temperatures, etc. The weeds appearing in the fields is sort of Mother Nature's way of trying to add diversity to our fields, since we are preventing that. Mm. Uh, I would hate eating the same food every day 
day in, day out. So why are soils any different? Limited plant diversity also creates a limited microbial diversity underfoot as well. Uh, always keeping a living root in the soil is the fourth principle. The relationship between plants and microbes and mycorrhizal fungi are symbiotic. Plants feed them sugars and in return the microbes and fungi bring the nutrients and minerals that are otherwise outside of the reach of the plant's roots. It's sort of similar to a chef having helpers in the kitchen where the helpers will bring ingredients to the chef and the chef will feed them with the finished product in exchange for their services. The chef doesn't have to work as hard to get the things that he needs and helpers get food in return. So allowing the relationship between microbiology and plants to function year round allows plants to photosynthesize and convert carbon dioxide, water, and sun energy into oxygen and sugars for a longer period of time. Some of those sugars are kept for the plant to use while quite a bit of it is expelled into the soil for those mi microbes to, to utilize. The microbiology in return returns uh, nutrients and minerals to the roots for the plant to use. That's kind of how carbon is stored in the soil. The more microbiology, the more carbon that can be stored in soil and in the plants and out of the atmosphere. Carbon is also an important building block for all life, including plants. The more diverse the plants and microbiology, the more carbon that can be stored or that can be removed from the atmosphere and stored in the soil. The more carbon removed from the atmosphere, the more, the more microbiology is present in the soil, which means more plant life as well. The fifth principle of soil health is the integration of livestock. There are animals everywhere. There is life everywhere you go. Uh, Gabe Brown, there's, he's a rancher in South Dakota. He's a renowned soil health ambassador. He has often said that he used to wake up every morning to see what he had to kill that day, whether it be weeds, insects, fungus, etc. Today he walks, he talks about asking himself how to create more life in the soil and on his land. Also, my dad is also getting on the whole soil health bandwagon and he's doing more ranching than farming now. So for those of you who are a little bit more unfamiliar with agriculture, ranchers kind of raise livestock, farmers grow crops. Some people are kind of unclear on how to make that distinction. And the line could get blurred in some instances, so it's all totally understandable if you don't understand. Anyways, my dad has been putting more emphasis on the cattle lately than the crops these last few years because he realized that what goes in one end of the cow comes out the other end, if you like within a day or two, and makes great fertilizer in the process. <laughs> uh, in cropping systems, you take your product, whether it be hay, seeds, food, and you remove it from the land. My dad likes the idea of keeping the nutrients from the plants on the land instead of shipping it miles and miles away. Also, plants have co-evolved with grazers for millions of years, and they both rely on each other to keep each other in check and healthy. So what I'm hearing is that diversity is important to maintain a healthy balance in soil, in animals, and within us. How iconic can diversity be? I oh yeah, it makes it more resilient, as I've said before. Uh, diversity also can help you keep armor on the soil because some plants can decompose faster than others. Uh, and just keeping the soil from being bare, not tilling the living daylights out of it. Uh, diversity helps a lot. So to piggyback off of what you were saying earlier about the soil being alive and having a ridiculous amount of bacteria, like 
more bacteria in a tablespoon of soil than humans on the earth. Oh my goodness, that is ridiculous. This reminds me a lot about a documentary that I watched called One Strange Rock, which essentially talks about how everything on this planet comes together and is alive and creates everything that we need to have life. Super interesting documentary. It's a docu-series actually. I highly recommend checking it out. It's on Disney+. Plus. This also brings me to a documentary that you told me about, Mackenzie. It's called Kiss the Ground, and it's talking about uh, regenerative agriculture and soil health. So that's how I found out about regenerative agriculture. How did you find out about regenerative agriculture, and what makes you passionate about it? So between my junior and senior year of college, I got an internship with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, or the NRCS, uh, where I work now. The agency was founded back in the 1930s because of the Dust Bowl and was originally called the Soil Conservation Service until 1994 when the name was changed by Congress because it works because the agency works with all natural resources, not just your soils. Uh, the science of soil health has never been super straightforward and not many people thought about the significance of the biology in the soil until more recently. It's about the same time when NRCS really started educating people on the importance of soil health. So anyways, during that summer, my supervisor had me read a short 100-page book. It's called The Soil Owner's Manual by John Steica. And honestly, at the time, I was not looking forward to reading it. I thought it was going to be a dry read. I was like, I mean, I've already taken upper-level classes on soils in college. What else would I need to know? <laughs> oh, man, that book was my first wake-up call. It wasn't one of those wake-up calls where you think, man, I need to do something about this now. It was more like a... <laughs> hey, maybe they're onto something. <laughs> because it all seemed pretty logical and straightforward to me, but I was still pretty skeptical because it kind of put into question everything that I grew up doing on my family's farm or ranch. Because we, we used tillage, we kept the ground pretty bare over winter in some fields, we removed residue and sold it for money, like for haying purposes. We kept the cattle on the same pasture for months at a time, you name it. Since then, I've attended many soil health workshops. I've listened to many speakers. I've read articles. I've seen lots of speakers on YouTube, especially with the whole coronavirus pandemic. I've been watching a lot of YouTube and listening to it while working. Um, and I've also seen many demonstrations over the last couple of years that testify to the science of soil health. The first time I saw those demonstrations, I was pretty stunned. So demonstrations like the rainfall simulator, the slake test, and the wind erosion simulator are all amazing educational tools. The rainfall simulator is my personal favorite demonstration. It's where you take so uh, samples of soil with different management practices and you set them each sample on a sloped tray. And the overhead sprinkler simulates about an inch of rainfall on those trays of soils. The water lands on those samples either the water that lands on those samples either infiltrates through the soil or runs off the soil surface. There are clear buckets that capture the water to show how much water and soil ran off the samples and to show how much water infiltrated instead. The results can be quite shocking. It, amazes, it still amazes me every single time I see it. The slake test is where you take two soil samples from the same type of soils with different management strategies and you set them in containers of water. The soil... The soil without structure just falls apart. It just kind of clouds the water and makes it dirty and hard to see through. The soils with soil health practices implemented have the glues necessary to help keep the soil structure from falling apart. The wind erosion simulator is essentially a leaf blower that blows uh, soil across 
or blows air across a bare soil sample. It demonstrates how much of your precious topsoil leaves the ground when you can't even see it. I've also read plenty of articles such as Laudermilk's paper, Conquest of the Land Through 7,000 Years. Uh, there's also a ton of YouTube videos on soil health I've seen. And I guess I'm pretty passionate about it because the soil provides food for us by giving plants a medium to grow in. A healthy soil is more resilient to stresses such as high temperatures, drought, high rainfall events, disease, and more. The science shows that healthy soils can store more carbon, which can help take carbon out of the atmosphere. Another reason I'm so passionate, passionate about regenerative agriculture is because I grew up on my family's farm ranch in western Montana. Over the years, we have grown a few crops and run a cow-calf cow operation. I have always enjoyed working outside with the animals land. I mean, how could I not? You've seen how beautiful it is there at my family's place, haven't you? Yes, so beautiful, so serene, no place like it. Oh man, yeah, I just love the natural scenery of the Mission Mountains and the Flathead River. I love watching the cute, spunky new calves in the spring, running and jumping around everywhere, and just riding horses to help move cows or just check out the cows or just, just to go for a ride. <laughs> and then changing irrigation pipe several times a day could be tedious and repetitive at times, but it allowed me to see many more sunsets and sunrises that I otherwise would not have seen. Many hours on the tractor have led to much self-introspection, leading me to realize who I was and what I wanted from a fairly young age, which I think is quite a perk, in my opinion. Kind of avoided many problems later in life. Farming and ranching is a hard life, and it's hard to be profitable, but it's a super rewarding lifestyle if you get on with it. I enjoy the outdoors, but there's just something about working on the land that is really fulfilling to me. However, if you want the land to take care of you, I'd be believe that you also have to take care of the land. Any one-sided relationship is never a healthy one. Also, I think that we all want to leave things in better shape for the next generation, which is a big motivator for many people in agriculture to become involved in soil health, is to give the land to their children in a better condition than what they themselves received that land. Now, after learning a little bit more about regenerative agriculture, there seems to be so many benefits to it. So, what are some perceived downsides that makes farmers so hesitant to adopt this new farming strategy? Yeah, so some farmers may be slower to adopt it because one issue is that the change that we see in our soils can be fairly slow and farming isn't super profitable to begin with. So what we suggest to farmers that they need to completely overhaul the way that they th do things in a way that potentially affects their entire livelihood, that could be pretty intimidating. So why should they take that risk? What they have been doing has been working for them so far, so why change? Plus, like how it did for me, soil health can bring you to question everything that you thought you knew about farming and ranching. And like most people, farmers and ranchers aren't exactly fond of people who aren't involved, or they aren't exactly fond of people who aren't involved with their in, in their industry to tell them what to do. Just like a doctor doesn't like having a store manager for telling them that a, that a patient was misdiagnosed. A lawyer doesn't want an athlete to tell them that they're incorrectly interpreting the law. A teacher doesn't want to receive criticism from a chef. There's an increasing number of farmers and ranchers moving towards sustainable agriculture, but social pressure from neighbors can be difficult to overcome as well. People can be pretty defensive about their choices and sometimes see people doing new things as a judgment on the old ways. Mm. Also, the transition period can be pretty difficult to figure out. Like a drug addict that is addicted to drugs, 
Lots of fields are addicted to expensive inputs such as pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizers. You can't just cut them off cold turkey because that's just a train wreck, train wreck waiting to happen. You need to slowly wean those fields off and make those crops more self-sufficient. It takes time though. The idea is to stop supplying those plants with fertilizers and nutrients so they work for you instead of you working for the plants. It could be a complicated process, especially when weather, water availability, and other factors of agriculture are constantly changing. There are no two years that are exactly alike. It's like trying to catch a train that doesn't have a schedule and doesn't wait for anybody. People in agriculture just do the best with it, what they can control. So what are some ways that people outside of agriculture can contribute to having healthier soil? So if you grow a garden, try to avoid any chemical inputs, fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides, for example. They don't really discriminate much on what they provide. And if you have a healthy soil, a lot of the work gets done for you. Ladybugs and other predators eat aphids for free, so why pay for pesticides that will kill both? Mm. Use the money that you save on other priorities. Uh, If you garden, recycle your organic leftovers, such as eggshells, banana peels, tomato skins, etc., into a compost to reuse in your garden. If you don't garden, you can see if there's a composting facility nearby, so you can take your food scraps and then they can turn it into compost to give to farmers or ranchers. Also, try to be conscious of where you get your food and how it was grown or raised. I know of quite a few few smaller ranchers who sustainably raise their livestock with consideration with the health of plants, soil, water, and the animals. You should see if there are any farmers markets in or near where you live. You talk to the producers manning the booth and ask about how they farm and ranch. And be sure to ask those same questions of organic producers. Not all practices yield the same results when it comes to soil health. So my roommate actually just decided to start composting a couple of months ago and she got a bin. So we've been contributing to that and she goes and drops it off every so often. But I don't really know the benefits of what composting contributes outside of it being good for the soil. Yeah, some people, I think they just kind of spread it out on their land with compost spreaders to help incorporate into the soil for their farmland to help increase the amount of organic matter in the soil. Okay, that makes sense. And then we often hear about cattle management being an issue within the agriculture industry. Um, Can you explain a little bit about how cattle and migrating animals can help contribute to the healthy soils? I know earlier you mentioned that you took termite out to graze your yard. Um, How is that beneficial? Oh, I was just doing that just to let them graze the yard a little bit, <laughs> just to trim down a little bit. It wasn't really anything in particular. I just want to get him out of the pen. He, he's been kind of harassed by a few mares. Oh. I figured that he would want to taste some fresh green grass instead of some dried up hay from last year. Yeah. But um, So the cattle industry has had quite a bit of backlash recently. There are some people who say that, farm, that ranchers are terrible people, that they mistreat their cattle, and what are and are one of the biggest contributors to global warming. Some people want to restore bison on the landscape because they think that bison were better for the land than cattle are. But I would ask them, what's the difference? They're both large, large hooved grazers with the same digestive systems. The only difference between, besides appearance, is in their management. Historically, bison were free to roam, moving as they pleased. They were always on the move because if they camped out in a single spot for too long, 
It would make for easy pickings for predators such as wolves. The National Park Service has some science that is worth exploring on the topic because wolves were reintroduced in 1995 to Yellowstone National Park. National Park uh, Service scientists and staff documented a cascade of ecosystem benefits. The bison weren't camping out near water sources anymore and were forced to graze in areas that would that they would otherwise that would otherwise not be utilized. Willow trees and shrubs were given the chance to grow again with elk being chased off by the wolves. Areas with the best grass and water readily available were no longer being overgrazed. It wasn't being undergrazed in other areas and it the land wasn't being undergrazed in other areas where plant litter can build up and inhibit the growth of new grasses and it can also provide fuel fuel for fires. It is important to note that an example of an ecosystem that is managed as a wild natural space, which is not how that the ah, that is an example of an ecosystem that is managed as a wild natural space, which is not how the system where we raise domestic cattle is managed. Domestic cattle are confined to smaller areas of land and they're not allowed to roam like bison historically were. They are fenced in within the land operated by the rancher. Traditionally, in the western United States, cattle have often been set out to pasture for months at a time, which doesn't allow plants a break from the constant grazing to grow back. The plants that do grow and thrive are the weeds that the cattle do not like to eat. So if you were to go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, what would you eat first? I, I would go towards probably a salad. A salad? I like to tell myself that, you, but... Do you really like salads? Like I, I do, and I like putting them in my body first, and I like to say that I would eat a salad first, but, you know, in all actuality, if I see mashed potatoes and gravy, I'm gone. Yeah, so you, the first thing you go through for is the food that you love, right? Yeah. And then when all, yeah, and then when all that is gone, you're going to move onto the foods that you don't think taste quite as good. But once a great food that you love is back, you'll snatch that up in a heartbeat until it's quickly gone again. There's still other food available, but if you don't like it, you're not going to touch it. And it just kind of accumulates because a great food isn't given a rest from the eating. So if you were to section off the buffet into smaller choices of food, you would be less picky and you would eat what you wouldn't have in the first place. It's the same for livestock. For the different plants that grow in the fields and pastures and in the rangelands. The grass needs a chance to regrow from the constant grazing pressure of cattle, sheep, goats, and other livestock. The migrating herds of bison often didn't return to the gra same grazed area for more, uh, more than a once every year or two. So how do ranchers mimic mother nature in this situation since large predators like wolves aren't an available option? Well, there's this concept called rotational grazing that allows grazed plants to get a break. It's where you take a single field that is grazed from extended period of time or just extended time and divide that field into smaller fields and you rotate your livestock in those smaller areas. If you used to have a field that was a square mile in size, it was grazed for three months, you could fence it off into nine smaller fields that are each grazed for 10 days. Those breaks kind of allow the plants to grow back and recharge before being able to get grazed again. We got to let nature do its thing. We got to let the earth heal and the plants heal and regrow. <laughs> I sound so cliche right now, but I don't know. It just, I feel like it all makes sense. You know, I just feel like it makes sense. So what is your wish list for healthy soil in a healthy agriculture sector? 
So I would like to see more incentivizing of soil health practices. I think that would really spur things on and get people to see its importance. I'd also love for students at every age level from elementary school to college to learn more in the classroom about the natural world and how it works. I want them to be taught more about the importance of soil health, especially in rural communities where agriculture is prevalent. Having said that, it's just as important for people in highly populated areas to learn more about where their food comes from. I'd love for people to have a better understanding of what are not reliable sources of information. For example, there are some people who believe that global warming is responsible for large forest fires in places like California and Australia. However, if you dig into the science, you can discover that in many cases, especially in the United States, fires are happening more due to the combination of factors, including poor resource management. Uh, fires have been suppressed for decades due to misguided belief that there is no such thing as a beneficial forest fire. That they are kind of a threat to people, property, and animals. However, historically, fire has played a critical role in ecosystems, and they need those fires to keep the understory cleared out to prevent massive fires like what we are seeing now. Today, land management agencies at the state and federal level are using a variety of techniques, such as prescribed burns, commercial thinning, and other practices that kind of mimic Mother Nature's use of fire to clear out that understory brush. I would also love for people who are not familiar with agriculture to learn more about it. I would encourage them to talk with people who are in that field of work. Even better, they can volunteer working agriculture for a few months or longer to for a few months or longer to get a true feel of what our food producers go through. I could as I could attest from my own experiences, farmers and ranchers are incredibly resourceful and smart. You can't judge them for what they do if you don't know why they do it. You know? Mm-hmm. Our understanding of the world changes over time. In the past, farmers and ranchers were encouraged to focus on yield per acre rather than profitability per acre, and that chemicals, whether fertilizers, pesticides, or herbicides, were the path to a bank balance that was in the black. As a society, we have since learned that those are not that these are not universal truths. If today's farmers and ranchers are a bit behind on the science, I hope you wouldn't blame them since they were working hard every day to feed the world, literally. In 2020, according to USDA Foreign Agricultural Service, the United States has exported around $145.7 billion worth of farm and food products to other countries. Some of those top commodities include soybeans, corn, tree nuts, pork, beef, dairy products, wheat, cotton, etc. I'd also say that please be mindful that watching a documentary doesn't mean that you know everything, or in some cases anything, about how farmers and ranchers operate. Speaking from their ranks, I would say that they are incredibly hardworking people and that they do a lot of work for very little financial profit. They are mostly honest, good people, so there's no reason to get mad at them when they're not up to date or on the latest science or aren't in a position to utilize as quickly as others for soil health. Also, I just wish that people would stop pointing fingers at who is to blame for climate change it doesn't accomplish anything, and I'd rather see us come together to to each do what we can to help build on these choices. You know, Amen. I think if I think unity could help a lot. And then, if you could give any advice to somebody looking to help reduce their carbon footprint, whether that be you know getting in the agriculture business or making subtle changes in their day to day lives, what advice or tips would you give them? Mm-hmm. So. If you're in the ag business, or if you, even if you have your own garden, 
Be sure to look up soil health and always try to improve your soil and your land health. Listen to testimonials of others who have tested and tried soil health. Uh, Gay Brown in South Dakota is a great one to listen to. Derek Axton, David Montgomery, Christine Jones, and there's many more experts on soil health that are available to learn on YouTube and other sources. You can also find videos by noted soil health expert uh, Ray Archuleta, who is passionate about the idea that when soil isn't healthy, it is, quote, naked, hungry, thirsty, and running a fever, which doesn't sound too pleasant, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, you can also stop by your local extension office, the State Department of Agriculture, or NRCS office, and see if there's anything that you could do to help improve your soil health and to try to make your operation more sustainable. I would also be more than helpful. I would, I personally would also be more than happy to answer any questions that come my way. If I don't know the answer myself, I would love to learn something new with you. Say, well, where, where can they find you to ask you? Well, they could contact me um, either on Instagram. They could just DM me on there. They could send me an email. Uh, I could send you my email address and you could just list it on there. It's the same one I've used with you. Um, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. If you want to make a change in your daily habits, I would say do your best to buy sustainably produce beef, pork, or poultry products. I've seen quite a few smaller ranchers that would be more than happy to work with you on providing good quality food. You can often get it at a good price and it isn't trucked across the country and it benefits both you and supports that agricultural producer. It supports those who want to improve the health of the land and allows them to continue doing so. As I said earlier, talk to them at the farmer's market, ask them about their practices. Same goes for organics. And then for people thinking of opting for grass-fed beef rather than grain-finished beef, since it doesn't require the feed to be trucked in from a long way, and I would tell them to ask the producers about their grazing practices, especially since some practices have greater soil health benefits than others. Also, I don't know if this is available where everyone is, but look to see if there's a composting facility near, near where you live. You might be able to donate to your kitchen scraps to be made into compost for local farms and ranches to utilize. Uh, this one's pretty simple. It's sort of a personal pet peeve of mine, but don't litter. Not anywhere. Not on roads, oceans, fields, etc. As we've seen in numerous magazines and newspaper articles, it harms the wildlife, sometimes in ways you don't imagine. Something as seemingly harmless as throwing out an apple core out of the window of your car can attract deer to the road where they can be struck by vehicles. So just recycle or compost wherever, wherever you can. I just don't, personally, I just don't like seeing litter on the side of the road. Yeah, me either. It kind of drives me crazy from time to time. Yeah, it um it it especially has been something I've noticed more since I'm not living in LA anymore. When I go back to LA and I just see trash everywhere, you can't go anywhere without seeing trash or clothes or food or just a whole bunch of litter on the ground, on the street, on the sidewalks when you're walking in in people's yards, in parking lots. It's just nonstop. I don't understand the point of littering, and I hope that you know we can come together and unite against that because we should not be littering. No, like honestly, it's not related to soil health. It's just it kind of drives me nuts that, and I guess the wind can also carry some litter into fields, and if people do use tillage, it could be incorporated into that soil, and just kind of inhibit some soil health. Uh, functions that go on that we don't see 
let's plug your Instagram. If people have any questions for you, if they want to reach out to you, uh, what's your Instagram handle? How can they message you? Uh, I can't remember what it is. I'll go look at it real quick. <laughs> it's at Mackenzie May 015, right? I think that's it. Yep, Mackenzie May 015. Yeah, that one. And then you'll get to see all of her uh, farming content. She posts cows. Oh, yeah. Horses occasionally, dogs, random stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is more like a conversation. I'm no, sorry. no, this was great. It was very informative. Of course. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are going to take away something from this. Yeah, I just hope it makes sense. Yeah, and if they have any questions or just want to get in contact with me, feel free. Cool. I'll definitely uh, put your information in the description box of this episode so that people can find you. Of course. Thank you for having me on here, Mallory. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. This was great. Yeah. And we do need to go on a hike sometime so I could show you some edible plants out in the mountains, like huckleberries. You already know I'm ready to get in the wild and eat these berries. Thank you again, Mackenzie, for coming on. Remember to follow her on Instagram at MackenzieMay015. I will leave that in the description bar. You can also find me on Instagram at Miss Mallory Lovings. And if you would like to hit me up with any questions, any feedback, hit my Gmail at InsideMallory'sBrain at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to take care of this earth and be well and stay swell. And I will see you guys next time. I'm your host, Mallory Lovings. Peace.